This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke 11, 14 to 28. Be encouraged by the reading of God's word. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign of heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And he said these things, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and it's uh, fantastic uh, to be with you all today. Go ahead and grab a Bible if you haven't already done so and turn to Luke chapter 11. There should be some underneath the seats in front of you. And also for those who haven't received uh, a field guide uh, to, go- to Luke's gospel account, we have some out in the lobby. Uh, if you want to sneak out real quick and grab one, and don't forget your gospel size rubber band that's out there as well. <clears throat> um, So do that so you can kind of journal your way through our time together, perhaps even starting today. So they're there for you for free. Uh, Today is our 53rd week in our our study through this book, the book of Luke, uh, that we've entitled The Real Jesus. And and I invite you to continue onward with us in this study um, into the pages of this historical account uh, and record uh, of the, the life and times of Jesus. Not just one who claimed to be from God, but one who claimed to be God. And that separates him uh, from, from all other significant prophets in this way. Uh, but even, even before we get started, I, I want to uh, say thank you to the Axis Church uh, for two things, primarily. Uh, one is thank you for letting me uh, take, a, take some time last week to, to go spend... Uh, right at 24 hours, I guess, uh, with my family in Virginia, where I was able to preach at my dad's church. Um, I'm a fourth-generation pastor and preacher, and so it's, it's awesome to be there with my grandfather, uh, who was there with us, who made his way there from the nursing home, 
uh, and with my dad and be there with them. We're nine and a half years old as a church. Uh, my dad planted his church six months before, so they're 10 years old, and uh, it's just amazing to see uh, the, the partnership that our churches have had and shared. And uh, He's listened to a couple of my sermons on uh, fighting the drift, and he's uh, doing a similar uh, series there uh, at his church, and so I was able to kind of come and just continue that work. And it's great to uh, have uh, parents who are Christians. Um, it's amazing to have, have parents who are in the ministry. Um, and uh, not, not all the time do we always have the, the sparkle in our eye in regards to ministry and vision and passion. Um, and and uh, the more that life hits you in the gut, the harder it is to keep that, that sparkle, sparkle there. And my dad has been through a lot of stuff, and um, it was just a joy to be there with him and sense that, that sparkle in his heart, that sparkle in his eye, that vision and passion. Um, as he approaches 70 years old, just the fervor um, that he's leading his church in. It's a blessing. So thanks for that. And, and also, thank you, uh, church, for stepping up to the challenge that was given to you on Vision Sunday um, to use your missional imaginations. Because uh, on Sunday, on Vision Sunday, um, uh, that was January 20th, if you want to go back and listen to that podcast, it's a very significant turning point in our, in our church. Um, but I presented really the why of our mission and the what of our mission as a church, uh, and I didn't really touch much of the how. Um, <laughs> that's your responsibility. Uh, Ephesians 4 says that the pastors have been given to the church to equip the saints to figure out the how, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so there was a lot of the what and the why, and you all have been responding so faithfully to figuring out the how as you consider how God has uniquely designed you, crafted you, given you certain passions and talents, and you all are using them now more than ever. In my opinion, at least from my knowledge, you're using them more now for His glory and not just because you enjoy certain things, but you're attaching them to the mission of God, and it is impressive. It is um, God-glorifying. It is beautiful. And so thank you for responding in this way. Continue to dream and explore and get, get creative and use your imaginations for the glory of God in the way that he has skilled you. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and get ready for our text for today. So uh, some context uh, just as a way of refreshment, Jesus makes his way toward Jerusalem, where this is going to be his final journey through the Middle East. And on his way, Jesus teaches his disciples about the Good Samaritan. And then he enters the home of Martha, who has a sister named Mary. Uh, Martha is very busy entertaining and hosting Jesus, right? <laughs> we can resonate with what that would probably feel like. Uh, well, but Mary is uh, not doing anything of that nature. She's just sitting uh, in front of Jesus and being very impressed with him, she's absorbing everything he says, listening to him. Well, Jesus teaches Mary and Martha, his disciples. He teaches us throughout Christian history, and he, he taught us uh, through this time that it's one thing to entertain Jesus and have him as sort of one of the many things in our lives, but it's quite another thing altogether to submit to him as the main thing ruling your heart and determining your actions. It was a, it was a special time that we had, uh, considering our Martha leanings and our Mary leanings. And then uh, this morning, uh, we have uh, one of, if not the most difficult text I've ever had to preach, as you heard it read aloud. Um, it is interesting, to say the least, and uh, it's probably the most under-preached text in Luke. 
uh, if not the New Testament. Uh, I was uh, one of my pastor buddies in uh, Kentucky, by God's grace and kindness, uh, had him text me this morning saying, I'm praying for you. I'm like, well, you need to. This text is terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, and he said, well, I'm preaching on tongues, so there's that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I think I'd rather, I'd rather take tongues over this one. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's unique. And uh, so it's been something I've, gosh, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure this thing out this week. Um, so I want to pray and just ask that it makes sense and pray that the Lord uses our time as we submit to even these passages that are easy to overlook um, by going verse by verse. We don't have the luxury of choosing or picking the text. We just take it, absorb it, seek to obey it, and move on. And some are easier than others. Uh, but I just want God's help. I have to have his help. And, uh, and so I just hope that you're encouraged through this time. And, and let me pray and, and, and to that end. Um, <clears throat> Father, thank you for this church, this just amazing group of people. Um, thank you for the way that you're changing us and, and using us. Um, thank you for, for not leaving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. <clears throat> Lord, would you just um, bless this time and use this text in ways that would um, honestly and pretty easily surprise me. Um, Lord, you, uh, you know what you're doing when you gave us this. And I just pray that it is obvious to our hearts why this is in the Bible and why we have to have it this morning um, on this particular day. Um, would, would this be obvious to us? Would we leave different, very, very different as we approach this, this text? Spirit, this is all you. You've got to do this. We can't manufacture what is needed. Uh, we can't hear unless you open our ears. We can't see unless you open our eyes. We can't feel and experience unless you open our hearts, and we certainly can't know unless you open our minds. And so, we ask that you do this for us, for your glory, the advancement of your gospel, and further obedience of the Christian church. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So over the past two weeks, we've been uh, cared very well by the preaching of, of your two new elders, Pastor Brooks and Pastor Don. Thank you, men, for your faithfulness. You're both gifts to us, and uh, we are grateful for you all. Um, our pastors led us through Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke 11. And then at some point after this uh, teaching on prayer, a man who was made mute through demonic possession, he makes his way to Jesus. And that's where we have our text for today. Hopefully you've gotten some idea of where this comes in the narrative of Luke. So follow along now, uh, Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. Now, he was casting out, he was expelling or releasing, sending away a demon that was mute, a demon that had made the man whom he was possessing mute. And when the demon had left him, when he had gone out, the mute man spoke and we can all imagine what this would have been like. The people marveled. They were amazed. They were taken back. They were astonished. So Jesus frees this man from his demon. He sends this demon away. And, and here we see Jesus giving us a taste of the kingdom of God. He's setting things back, right, once again. He's restoring things back to the way that they should be. He's giving us a taste of what life is going to be like in heaven and paradise with him. And by doing so, we're, we are amazed and astonished and taken back at his power. It seems limitless. 
His power is effective. When he says something, things change. When he speaks, demons flee. But not all saw this particular miracle as an act of his power. They acknowledged the power, but they questioned the source of this powerful miracle. So some some people marveled, but then in verse 15, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the the leader of the evil spirits, the prince of demons. The New Living Translation says no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. Beelzebul was a common uh, alias uh, for Satan, the devil, the evil one, dating back for generations, uh, finding its source ultimately in 2 Kings chapter 1, the first 18 verses, I believe, there in uh, 2 Kings 1. And some, some of those in the crowd, that these Pharisees, accused Jesus of being Satan or at least um, having uh, received power from, from Satan to free people uh, of their demons. But now others had thoughts, different thoughts, about Jesus, and they they tried testing him. So you can see this in verse 16. But there were others, uh, to catch him in a trap or to, uh, to catch him making a mistake, others trying to test him kept seeking from him a sign uh, from heaven, another miracle. Uh, These people wanted more miracles. They felt like they needed or desired more proof from Jesus that he was the Messiah, and that he was getting his power from God. So he's performing these miracles, and here's a miracle that involves a demon. The Pharisees, the religious elite, uh, very, very religious uh, elite, they, they believe that they could explain how Jesus is doing this by simply saying aloud to the crowd that he's receiving his power from the devil. We can't ignore it. This is a powerful thing. Um, we don't want people following him, so he gets his power from Satan. But now others thought this could all be settled if Jesus could just give a little bit clearer sign that he was from God and that he was working with the power of God. So some see the power and credit to Satan so that they can move on, right, dismiss him. Uh, but others see the power and they want to see more of it to determine whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. Verse 17, but Jesus, understanding them, Jesus, he's, he's aware of their opinions about him and his power. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, I love that he gets it, he sees it, he understands it, he's not afraid of it. He's not like, ooh, there's some tension, I better back up and, and, and get away. He's, he sees it, he knows their thoughts, he says to them this. Every kingdom divided against itself, that's hostile to itself, that's in opposition to itself, is laid waste. It's destroyed and ruined. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. It it suffers. It experiences pain and loss. This is a very reasonable statement. Most, if not all, the Pharisees, all those around would hear this and agree. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and every divided household falls. Yes. Well, Jesus continues unpacking his point as he handles this accusation about his power and his person, ultimately. Verse 18, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? How will it maintain In other words, if Satan were enabling exorcisms, he would be weakening his own demonic forces. Perhaps here they begin to see that that their assumptions are illogical. And Jesus is continuing down this path, making sure they're aware of who he is, the truth about 
himself. And so he restates what their thoughts and words were. He, he restates their assumptions. For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And I'm thinking, we thought it, but we didn't, you didn't hear us, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I know. All right? And so they're just, they're like, okay, that's true. That's a fact. That's, that's what you said. So Jesus goes on to say that there are essentially two possibilities. Verse 19, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? They testify against you. They will, in fact, judge you. They will be your judges. The argument that Jesus is working here, his logic, could equally well be turned against those who are in opposition to him. So he turns the tables on the Pharisees, asking them where, where their Jewish exorcists get their power to drive out these demons. You see, some, some Jews practiced these sort of magic uh, spells that were intended to ward off and remove evil spirits. We find examples of this in the findings of the Dead Sea Scrolls. A spell that's commonly called the Aramaic exorcism was discovered there, and it's right in line with what Jesus is questioning them about. So where do they get their power, Jesus asks. If you say there's a possibility that my power is of Satan, doesn't the same possibility exist for you? He's asking them to check themselves as they're checking him, to search themselves to see where their power's coming from. You can't just negate all power as from the evil one. Well, Jesus continues with the other possibility. But if what you see is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the rule and the reign, the kingdom of God, has arrived and is already here. It has come upon you. Well, as we were reading yesterday in our Access reading plan, John the baptizer was aware that the kingdom was near. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And here Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has in fact come and we would be very wise to do as John says, to humble ourselves, to repent and believe in the gospel. Now the way that I understand this passage here in verse 20, I see that this is the point that Jesus has been working towards where, uh, with these Pharisees in regards to his power. Uh, this is either the, the power of Satan or the power of God. And if it's the power of God, then his kingdom has arrived. And if this is the power of God before their eyes, then this is a declaration of the deity and the authority of Jesus, the one who's proclaiming and claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah. And all those around him should humble themselves before him, listen to his words, for they are the very words of God. They are in contact with the kingdom of God. They're in contact with the Son of God right here in the flesh with Jesus. And they must come to this realization. Now notice the phrase, the finger of God. At first I was like, well, that's cool that it was just the finger of God that, that flicked this demon out of the way and not like a strong arm. But there's something more here. Uh, this is in direct reference to Exodus 8, verse 19, where uh, the plagues were going on, trying to release God's children from the rule of Pharaoh. And for everything that Moses and Aaron would do as a miraculous event and a, a powerful plague, uh, the, uh, the sorcerers, the magicians of Pharaoh would do the same, which is a marvelous thing. But then they came upon one that they couldn't match. And this is, this is the, uh, the powerful magicians of Pharaoh. They tried mimicking all these different plagues, and they couldn't do them all. And they said back to Pharaoh, this must be the finger of God. 
In other words, we can't create this. And it's interesting, it's a power you can't see, but it's a power over things. It's exactly the same sort of power here that's, that involves this demon, right? We can't contrive through our powers this result. It is the finger of God. These Pharisees knew this text. They knew all the Torah. They, they had it locked down, memorized. So they knew exactly that phrase. And they knew that it pertained to the powers that you can't see, but the powers that exist. Well, Jesus continues. When a, a strong man, fully armed, someone who's equipped for battle, someone who's loud and bolsterous and strong, when he protects and watches and guards his own palace, his goods are at peace. They're free from worry. They are safe. His property, his possessions, they're not at risk. But when one stronger than he attacks him and prevails or overtakes him, he takes away his armor, his weapons, and this is an interesting prepositional phrase, in which he trusted, in which he depended upon, in which he had confidence in. Those weapons are removed, and then he divides his spoil. He gives away and distributes the, the strong man's possessions. And whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not call together and gather with me disperses and scatters. Now remember, Jesus is still teaching and speaking of the demonic spirits and demonic possession. So some say we need more proof. Others say he does this through Satan. Well, Jesus replies to these crowds by saying that a kingdom or household divided against itself will soon come to nothing. And essentially, Jesus says, is it logical for Satan to promote civil war in his own kingdom? Jesus points out that further proof wasn't necessarily needed, that Jesus was operating out of the, that, that, that he wasn't operating out of the power of the enemy. And what many would soon realize is that one stronger than Satan was at work. That one stronger than Satan was at work and to refuse support to Jesus and his kingdom. There's not room for a neutral position with Jesus. The posture of neutrality with Jesus is the posture of opposition toward Jesus. There is no sort of middle ground or as is common to say, sort of straddling the fence. That doesn't exist with Jesus. Now we're going we're to come back to these words and this strange uh, these strange words in, in a moment, but let's continue here in verse 24. Now, when the unclean spirit, speaking of this demon, has gone out of a person, it journeys and passes through arid, dry, waterless places, seeking to find relief, uh, seeking to find rest, home. And finding none, it says, I'm going to go back, I'm going to return, interesting personal pronoun, I will return to my house. Speaking of the previous person, I will return to my old home from which I came. Now, when it, when it arrives, when it comes, it discovers, it finds the house swept and put back into order, made beautiful, decorated is what this means. Then it goes, it travels back out and brings seven other spirits, seven other evil spirits, more evil, more wicked and sick than itself, and then they enter, and that word, it literally means to like move furniture into, like they move into, and they enter, and they reside, they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Eight demons is worse than one. Now, opinions differ whether this story is meant to be taken um, simply on the literal level, 
or if this is a parable pointing out the um, spiritual decay of the human soul. Its main point isn't to satisfy our curiosity about demons and the demonic world. Its main point is to warn against the danger of repentance that is purely negative. Its main point is to warn against the danger of a repentance that is purely negative. Negative meaning that it's a repentance that's mainly and merely focused on the things that you're running from. With little to no focus on what you're gaining. With little to no focus on the positive. In other words, and this difference is essential for us to understand. Particularly those in the room who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, uh, particularly those in the room who believe they are Christians. This is extremely important for you. When we hear preaching against sin, when we hear preaching against worldliness, when we hear preaching about hell, we are at great risk of reaching to God, not for God, but so that we will not go to hell. It's simply focused on the negative. That's a repentance that's based on the negative. You believe you, believe you became a Christian, but merely because you're afraid of pain, you're afraid of fire, and this all seems scary and awful, so what do you do? Oh, if I pray this prayer, I no longer have to worry about eternal pain. Count me in. I want to be saved because I don't want to go to hell. It has nothing to do with God has nothing to do with the wrath of God being satisfied through Jesus. I just don't want that. Now, now, please do not misunderstand me. Reaching for Christ to get out of hell certainly is part of the Christian's motivation for salvation, sure. But a repentance that's purely negative uh, from what you escaped from and not positive in what you gain, then we're at great risk of never being changed by the Holy Spirit, never made a Christian, never becoming reborn, never experienced salvation that comes through faith and grace alone. In other words, if we, when we hear preaching on holiness, if our thought is simply to stop doing bad things and start doing good things, friend, that is not repentance. That's moralism laced with legalism. That's not true repentance. That's simply you leaving this building compelled to try harder. And this will not help you. This cannot save you. A salvation based merely upon you trying harder is not one that can help you. Not eternally. It isn't a salvation that experiences the powerful working of God where the Spirit of God invades our lives, moves His furniture into our home, tabernacles and dwells among us, and now we are protected by a stronger one living within us who thwarts off and who sends away these evil spirits when they try to come back and take home within our hearts. Our own energies alone cannot ward off the evil one. We cannot uh, ward off his spirits, but be reminded that the Spirit of God can protect. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, the Lord is faithful. It doesn't say you're faithful. It says the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you specifically against Beelzebul. Specifically against the evil one. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Friend, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, not your white-knuckling strength. 
It is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You see, there are essentially two ways of going about protecting ourselves, and Jesus is teaching us something here. We can, we can do our best to fight off uh, the enemy, to fight off temptation, or we can depend on the almighty power of the Spirit of God working in us and with us to do His will. Much like the strong man who depended upon his own strength, he placed his confidence and hope in his own weapons, depended on his own weapons to fight off the opposition. When we depend solely upon our own efforts, our own strength to save ourselves and to protect our souls, we'll be overcome by the evil one every single time. You are not strong enough. Moralism fails. We're damned by legalism. We're damned by moralism. Because it is a distraction. We become inoculated to, to repentance. We get just enough taste of repentance to keep us from getting it. It's like the flu shot. We're at great risk. We do not need to shortchange repentance, but press completely and thoroughly into it, completely giving ourselves to it. Only the Spirit of God can truly guard our minds and hearts in Christ. Read more about this in Philippians 4 and verse 7. No weapons or armor or anything else that we put our confidence in, our trust in. None of these things can settle our minds. None of these things can protect us from the evil one. None of these things can give us peace. My friends, please make sure today that your repentance is genuine. Please make sure that your repentance is genuine. Please make sure. Your repentance, my sweet, sweet friends. Make sure your repentance is genuine. Only hope and confidence in the grace of God our Father, the, re uh, the representative work of Jesus Christ the Son, and the working of the Holy Spirit. Only these things can save us and protect us. And be encouraged here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. So in regards to your temptation, it doesn't say be faithful, though we should pursue this. The main idea in our temptation is that in the midst of temptation, God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure this temptation. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the result of pressing into his power, of taking comfort in his strength, resting at peace, knowing that he isn't resting, that he is on guard, protecting this results in peace. It results in freedom. And you get a taste of this from Psalm 5:11. But let all who take refuge and, and lean into you, let those who go to you for protection, let them rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. And that means celebrate in you. 
We no longer need to go about life full of fear, full of anxiety, fearful, afraid, and weak. We can acknowledge the good Father. We can believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, and we can place our our trust and our confidence in the Spirit of God to protect us and one day to deliver us safely into His presence. We must establish our hearts and our lives firmly upon Jesus Christ and hope solely in Him. And then we must establish our hearts and lives firmly upon Jesus Christ and hope solely in Him. And then we must establish our hearts and lives firmly upon Jesus Christ and hope solely in Him. This is what it means to be Christian. This is what it means to be a happy Christian, a safe Christian. This is where our joy and our confidence lies. We must find our confidence, our trust in Him and His work for us. This is where our hope and our victory is found. Now moving on in verse 27 and 28, and He said these things. This is so weird. Uh, (laughs) And He said these things. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But He said, and this isn't necessarily addressed to her, this is addressed to the audience. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, who do not dismiss it, who think much about it, who obey it, submit their lives to it. Now the woman's rather sentimental benediction on Jesus' mother simply meant basically, if if I only had a son like this man, I would be so fortunate and blessed. But something else matters much more, and that is to hear and obey the message of from God that Jesus taught. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it and who obey it and submit their lives to it. There's true blessing, there's true hope, there's true protection found there. Now going back in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gets at this point. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord and, and not do what I tell you? Don't keep my word, if you will. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. This is significant work. This is difficult work. This is intentional work. He dug deep and he laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. It had been well established. But the one who hears and does not do these words and obey them, consider them, take them to heart, live in light of them, submit themselves to them, he is like a man who built a house uh, on the ground without a foundation. In other stories of this, it's like on the sand. And when the stream broke against it, immediately, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Well, what Jesus is saying is this. The, the, The Pharisees and the crowds on this particular day surrounding him they should have realized that he was speaking God's word without needing more miracles to confirm it. And that this is pure and humble and authentic acceptance of Jesus and his words. And this acceptance would prevent the kind of false repentance described earlier in verse 26. But what about you? Are you needing more than what Jesus has already given and spoken? I know what happens. Life hits, right? Life hurts. So, so has his perceived absence or apathy in your story caused you to need more from him? To, to prove himself more before you buy back into his way? 
of salvation. Or what about those who have decided out of fear just to run from hell? And those who've decided merely to try harder to be good in order to be saved, if this is you, I encourage you to come in humility and joy to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and ask him for faith to believe him and to trust him and seek him for genuine, true repentance. Nothing is more important than that. And pray through this. Remember, this is, this is right, right on the heels of Jesus teaching about prayer. There's this right here. Pray to him and ask him for the gift of true repentance, the repentance that leads not to behavior modification or adding a few things, taking some things away, but true, genuine, uh, uh, true, genuine salvation, this repentance, the repentance that brings about the Holy Spirit's comfort and the Holy Spirit's protection. Ask God for the gift of, of true saving repentance that's focused more on what you gain, a relationship with God and peace with him and less about the things that you lose. This morning, invite the stronger man into your life who is fully equipped, truly equipped to protect you and to defend you. Remember, saving repentance only comes to us as we humble ourselves and turn to Jesus and find in him what we thought could be found elsewhere. Well, friends, this is a difficult text. It's a hard text. And I hope that this preaching this morning and the teaching on this text has inspired you to take the things of God more seriously and to press into your story and God's story with much humility and that you would respond in active and ongoing, genuine repentance. Really, the only way to move forward from such a text as this is to humbly pray to God to protect you from the evil one. We must have his help. We have to call out to Jesus for faith in him. And we must have the Spirit of God to grant us true and saving repentance that leads to permanent protection. This is what we need. <clears throat> As we transition uh, into communion, I want us to know, and I want you to hear clearly, that the only source of our hope and protection from the evil one. And our only protection from sin is found in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. This is it. There's no other remedy. There's no other hope. That's why I believe it is so important for us as we gather together to remember the finished work of Christ and the things that he's done for us through communion. It is a reminder where we use our hands, we use our mouths, we use our minds, we use our words to remember that Jesus lived his life as us, as our representative, and he died our death, absorbing the wrath of God for us as our substitute, that he took care of all things necessary to release the Spirit of God from behind the veil, from the Holy of Holies, tearing the curtain, release him to no longer dwell in tents, and, 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 and in the tabernacle, but where he now can come tabernacle and dwell within us, where he's the stronger one within us who is causing these demons to run and flee. And he brings us freedom. He brings us safety. He gives our heart peace from the warfare that's going on. He's interceding. He's boxing. He's fighting for us within our minds and within our hearts, giving us peace. 
This is the Christian's comfort. And so this is why we come to the table, specifically after this strange text, remembering the finished work of Christ on our behalf. So as you come and you take that bread, I really encourage you to think through the protection of God for you as Jesus Christ lived a perfect life for you. And as you dip it into the red liquid, the juice or the wine, based on your age or conscience, I want you to remember the fact that Jesus Christ stood in your place, absorbing the wrath of God for you, justifying yourself before God the Father, releasing the Spirit of God to your hearts, making you alive, and sending you the one that Jesus Christ called the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think through these things. I want you to press into these things more. We have such a hope. We have such a confidence. We should not fear the evil one. We have one that has overcome him and that he is with us. He's in us. And there's nothing we can do to make him run away and send him away. This is our comfort. Let me pray for us as we take this this morning. Father, I pray that we are reminded once more of the hope that we have in you and the protection that we have Lord, through what you have done through your Son and the releasing of your Spirit, Lord, into our hearts. Lord, I pray that we, uh, are not, uh, that we would not be drawn into fear, but that we would be drawn into comfort, knowing that you know these things, you see the things that go into our minds and our hearts, and that, that you are there working in us and with us, Lord, uh, speaking truth and taking these things into the light and running these things off. So I pray for us that we would have humility needed to submit to this work. Lord, that we would not be, Lord, inviting, uh, Lord, uh, these negative influences and this, these sinful items, Lord, into our minds and our hearts, that we would be serious about holiness, that we would be careful, Lord, about guarding ourselves, but ultimately knowing, Lord, that it is you who fights this battle. It is you who protects us. So, Lord, help us, yes, pursue all that we must, Lord, in holiness, in purity, in fighting the evil one. But, Lord, let us also know that we do not fight alone. Lord, that you are with us, that, you, that we are with you. There's more you in us than us in us. <laughs> and there's great comfort in that. Lord, thank you that you are near us and that you won't leave us. But that you're on guard and you're protecting us. Lord, let us understand the true blessing, Lord, that, that is ours when we humble ourselves and that we truly repent and turn to you to find what we thought could be found elsewhere in a number of other things. The blessing that, Lord, that comes to us as we humble ourselves and trust you and trust your word. Lord, help us hear this and help us keep this. Help us live in light of this. Help us humble ourselves to these truths. Lord, give these people a spirit of peace and of sound mind. Protect them from the evil one, knowing that he does roam around looking for those whom he may devour. But we praise God for you, Jesus Christ, the shepherd and overseer of our souls, who's there with your rod and staff to protect and comfort us. We remember you. We remember your faithfulness, O oh God, this morning. And we get no greater picture of that than through the taking and remembering of your work through the taking of communion. You are faithful. You're good. You can be trusted. We remember this through this bread and this wine, this juice that's symbolic of your saving faithfulness to us. Lord, be with your people. Encourage them, strengthen them, and give them peace. Add your special blessing to this time of remembering you.
this time of communion and repentance. God, let it be genuine. Save religious people this morning. Save good people this morning. Lord, save those who are not interested in you at all. Save them this morning. Encourage us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.